0: Aunt or something like that. They don't exactly know the measurements, but you have to learn, and 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 you have to be welcomed into that. And there's great benefit to that. Now contrast that to what you get in clickbait, right? So you find out these secrets: secrets to uh, losing weight, secrets to a happy life, secrets to wealth and prosperity. And if you click through those things, you'll just discover there's a program for you to buy to make the other person rich. It's not very much of a secret. And so today, what I hope is that you don't have an experience of learning a secret that Paul shares with Timothy in the way that clickbait and these kind of systems do. But it'd be more like a, a family secret. And what Paul does with Timothy, a young leader he's raised up and placed over the church in Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He raised up Timothy and trained him and left him as a young pastor to oversee this congregation. And he writes the book of 1 and 2 Timothy to help Timothy know how to lead these people. And 1 Timothy specifically. And in the close of Timothy, in the last paragraphs of his letter to Timothy, he shares this secret. He talks about some important things. And there's there's four parts to it. And so he talks about... um, This overarching theme of generosity, and he talks about pride, and he talks about trust, and he talks about doing good, and he talks about generosity, and in the end of it, he concludes that all of these things are part of true life, like really living in Christ, and so it's something he puts into the very last, because he he wants to make sure Timothy knows that this is something important to teach to the people that he's leading. Now the interesting thing is, we as humans haven't changed so much from the people in the first century, have we? I mean, our technology, what's going on around us and things, but as people, we all desire to have a good life. We may define good and satisfying, rich and satisfying life differently, but it's no different than the people in the first century. They, they wanted their life to be good, they wanted it to matter, they wanted to do the right things. And so Paul is helping to train Timothy to know how to teach this to his people. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, starting in verse 17. We'll look at verses 17 and 19. We'll jump around some other places. If you have the Bible app, you can look under events for Country Hills Church, and you can find our church and find the scriptures there. It's especially important if you're newer to church and you're not quite sure where to find uh, things in the Bible, it's laid out for you. You can follow along on the screen as well. First Timothy 6, uh, 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. So we'll start there. Having money is no reason to think that you're better than another person. What you have, what you've earned, what you've kind of made of yourself, is no reason to make you think That you're better than any other person. However, (laughs) we often equate money with status or what someone has or what they've earned or what they've attained with, we we might not say it out loud, but realistically in society, we put them at a, a different kind of stratosphere. And Paul is saying within the church family, it ought not be that way. In fact, that's a pretty deep value for me. When I was a youth pastor, I wanted every student to come, and no matter what the pecking order they were in at school, that they would arrive here equal. Everybody knows they have a place, the value they matter. No one's more important than another. And Paul is saying the same thing. There is no reason for someone's money um, to cause the things that pride over money or status or what you've earned do because this internal feeling that you're better than someone or or you because you have more or you've achieved more or at least you think that than others that pride builds up from something that's a little more silent and and hard to notice but eventually leaks out into other types of attitudes and what happens when we have pride over what we have is we don't just look at what we have as something we own or we've earned. It actually begins to form our identity. And we begin to see ourselves through the lens of what we've made, what we've accomplished, what we have. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. In fact, it's, it's not a physical problem, right? It's not about the money or the stuff or what you have. It's actually a spiritual problem because original sin, the, the original sin is pride. Pride is a root sin. Many other surface sins come out of that root of pride. Pride is a root. And Satan set himself in pride to try and overthrow God. And was defeated, obviously. And so he came and he tempted Adam and Eve and he said, You know, did God really say that true, full life only comes through him? The real temptation there was for Adam and Eve to have pride in themselves. That they had the ability in and of themselves to accomplish what God had set them out to do on their own. To be satisfied to find all the deep longings that God places in us. We have longings. We want to be loved and have meaning and, and know our purpose. We have those things placed inside us from God. They're not bad. But they believed that they could do that Apart from God. So I'm going to find things myself. Right? And that's the original sin. And that's what Paul is worrying about. He's telling Timothy to help his people be aware. Be aware of what this does. And also avoid the trap of what it will do in your community. Why? Why is it foolish to place our pride and our money or what we've gained or earned, the stuff we have, because it's fleeting and unreliable. Back to verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Okay, let's just look at that, that middle part there. Money is nothing to be proud of. Why? Because money can be fleeting. The things we have are not lasting. Everyone's experienced that. You save up or you plan to buy this thing, you get it, and short after that. it doesn't satisfy quite the same. A massive illustration of that happened not quite a hundred years ago. In 1929, the stock market crashed, and it was the beginning of the Great Depression, and people overnight lost either everything they had or almost everything they had everything they've been so think about your life think about your retirement your savings your house your equity your income all the things that build this security that you live on and go about your days and don't even think about and just plan to and have things for tomorrow gone and so if you place your pride and worse than that your trust your security your hope and those things they're not lasting we may not have that in our lifetime, but it's fleeting. It's absolutely unreliable. And there's a clear contrast here between placing our trust in the stuff, in the money, or the one who provides it. I mean, it, it, we would be able to say very easily, well, that doesn't make any sense. You would never place your trust and hope in a thing over the one who gives you the thing, right? Everyone knows that. We all know that. But yet we live in a very different way it's very difficult when you're going about the nuts and bolts of everyday life to place your security your hope your trust in god as opposed to the things that he's giving you to be able to live we need food we need money we need places to live we need clothing we need those things they're part of life but paul is helping us to have those in balance. Now, Paul doesn't use this word specifically, but I'm going to insert it for him. He's contrasting pride and trust in our things with humility. Humility in who we are so that we don't build our identity off our stuff, so we're humble enough to know that God knows who we are and gives us our purpose, and humble enough to see our stuff as a gift, we hold it with open hands the money that you have the accomplishments you've made the house the clothes the whatever you have it's not because you're amazing and phenomenal and have earned this all it's not even because you're wise or good with money Those are all good things but it's all because of the opportunity god gave you and it's completely unreliable to have pride in who you are because of what you've done because i can go away in an instant all it takes is a disaster a sickness A change outside your control. Who controls those things? God. So when we place our trust in those things, it's unreliable. It's not a good source of hope. And so Paul is saying, be humble about what you have. Be humble about who you are. And then he adds these really cool words right at the end of that. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. What? For our enjoyment. What? What? If you've ever heard a sermon or teaching on generosity, it tends to be about what I've just said. Stuff is not ours, and we ought to release it, and it's God's, and we should use, you know, God's stuff for God's kingdom. That's all true. But it's interesting that he says, God gives these things for our enjoyment. Why is this important? Because there's really awful false teaching out there that will get you into one of two extremes or some kind of polarizing thing in between. So the one extreme is called the prosperity gospel. It goes something like this. God blesses you if you give, or God blesses you because you're his, and he's going to give you riches, he's going to heal you, there'll be no sickness. It's this good life that God gives you if you get things kind of right, or if you give enough, right? The problem with that is this. Jesus... The most satisfied human, fully God, fully human, we wouldn't say that his life was detrimental, or look at him and say, "Boy, he must have been like really had a horrible life." He modeled what satisfaction in living a life that God has for us. He did that, so he, he led, led a abundant, rich, and satisfying life. Yet he had nothing. The apostles. The ones who Jesus commissioned to spread this good news, the first ones, nothing. They died martyr's death. In the Old Testament, God tended to show his blessing with stuff. And God, if you look at his nature, he's never changed. But throughout time, and as the gospel unfolds to the time where Jesus comes, and the fulfillment of that, and as we wait for the full fulfillment in Jesus' return... He as father treats humanity as a parent does a child maturing. And so early on in the earth, we see in the Old Testament these blessings. God blesses Abraham and and Isaac and and others, Joel, but with fields and flocks and money. And it was a way of him conveying. What do you do with your child when you want them to know you're pleased with them? Well, you speak words of affirmation, but sometimes you give them things as well. A sticker, a a, pencil—you know—it doesn't take much for young kids. And as they grow, if that's how you continue to raise them, when they're 18, they'll expect a car when they pass their exam. And maybe, maybe you do that, but most of us don't do that. And so, (laughs) I saw some 18-year-olds looking at their parents. So, you know, I'm sorry. Whatever that causes the rest of the week. So. God has not changed in His nature, but how He interacts with humanity after the cross does change. Not His nature, and so we can fall into this. John ten ten says this: the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to have, give them a rich and satisfying life. That rich and satisfying life, that word is often translated abundant. Okay, and uh, it's the word. Uh, perisos, and it means extraordinary, outstanding, exceptional, beyond normal. Do you understand God wants you to have an exceptional, beyond normal, amazing life, but it has nothing to do with the stuff you have? But the opposite is true. So there's prosperity gospel on the one hand, only blessed if God's giving me all these things. I'm all There we go. I'm only blessed if I'm pulling into a parking spot at Christmas and I get the front spot. God, you've blessed me so much. Thank you. That's maybe, but if that's your view of God, it's very shallow. The opposite is asceticism. 1 Timothy 6.10, a few verses prior. Paul says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Pay attention to what he says, the love of money is the root of all evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So what we're learning today, he's already put a foundation, a few paragraphs before we get this wrong, people often interpret money is the root of all evil, it's not, it's the love of money, it's the place that money and things have in your life. Are you proud about them, are they most important? So God has given us what we need for our enjoyment and for our use and to take care of ourselves and others. And so we have this extreme of asceticism. There's something called Gnosticism that is all throughout the New Testament. It was a false teaching where they divided the spiritual and the physical, very much so. has all sorts of theological implications with the cross and Jesus and all that stuff. We're not going to get into that. But they basically saw the physical as evil. And so money and things, uh, it was just evil. On top of that, we have early Christians who tried to get away from the evils of the world and became ascetics. They learned a lot of great things about deep contemplative spirituality, but they fled the world, lived in caves away from the temptations of stuff. And I don't think that's what God is saying. It's how we view money. It's what hold it has on us. So the important part of humility in who we are and what we have is that we don't see money as God. We don't, you know, love it so much that we chase after it or gain our identity from it. But we also don't treat it as evil. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. There's nothing wrong with saving up and buying yourself a a new car or a new this or a new that. It's the place it has in your life and what you do with the rest. It's who you give to first. It's whose money it is. And that's where Paul goes next. So instead of trusting in money, which leads to pride and greed and chasing after the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. Verse 18, Paul says this. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in doing good works. And so Paul says, there's a better way to be rich. There's a better way to be rich. And in this passage, he's primarily speaking to those who are wealthy. Now, there's lots of teaching on generosity all throughout the New Testament, and the Old Testament as well. And we go from tithing and and law to a freedom, and we saw that in some of the verses uh, just before I started preaching, where we have a choice of what we give. We'll read that in a minute. But also Jesus, in teaching his disciples about generosity, points out a poor woman in the temple who gives all she has. And he says that, that's the attitude towards God and what you have. That you trust God to provide. And you give when he leads. You be generous. And so Paul is saying you need to be rich in doing good works. So he's primarily speaking to the wealthy, and in case we don't think we're wealthy, and we're not saying that everyone here is wealthy, but let me give you a few figures. The average Canadian uh, income, yearly income, in 2021 across Canada uh, was $59,000 a year. So that's the average. If you're making more than fifteen, and that's for a, a household, okay? $59,000, if you've got that much, you're making the average or more. The poverty line in Ontario, is a family, so that's, uh, you know, a, a couple of adults, possibly both earning, maybe just one earning, and at least one dependent, okay? So a couple of adults and one dependent. The poverty line is uh, 35000 So anyone in a family household making less than 35000 is at or below the poverty line. A single person earning $20,000 a year or less is at the poverty line. So I'm not going to make a judgement on any of us, but it's likely that the vast majority of us are making more than that. And so by Canadian standards, we're not poor. Talk about the world. Africa and Latin America, their average annual income, and I put this into Canadian dollars so that it's, we're doing apples to apples, $12,000. The World Bank data from 2021, the top 10% Uh, You fall into the top 10% of earners in the world if your household income is $52,000 or more. You fall into the top 5% of income earners in the whole world if you make more than $90,000 for your household income. And you are part of the 1% throughout the world if your household income from all sources is $260,000 per year or more. It's dependent on location, industry, all sorts of factors. I'm not going to dig down into all that data because I'm not a statistician. But these are the high-level numbers we need to pay attention to. Why would Paul speak specifically to those he deems wealthy? Because those who are rich in money or things tend to have more opportunity to do good. Remember, he's not. we're going to talk about generosity in a minute. He's talking about doing good with your life and your stuff. Contrast someone who is retired, has saved well, doing well, has a lot of disposable income, versus a single mother of three working two to three jobs. Who has more ability, probably, to do good? Probably this person over here. Again, I'm broad-stroking it, right? So Paul is saying those who have more probably have more opportunity to do more. And if they're not doing more with the more they've been given by God, something's off. It's interesting that his focus here isn't necessarily the other person. A lot of generosity, teaching, and in the church family is about others. This is really looking at ourselves and kind of what, it, what it's doing in my life. And so Paul is saying that those who have more are in a unique position and have a unique calling and purpose by God. That is given, okay? It's given to you. Here's the reality. You and your personality, your life, who you are, in inside, who God has made you to be, could have been born somewhere else. Imagine if you were born in a poor neighborhood in Calcutta, India. Or if you were born, say, you know, five hours north by plane in an indigenous community who doesn't have certain resources. Would your life be the same? Probably not. And so Paul is saying, consider the gift that God has given you and who you are and what you have, the opportunities you've been given. Are you using those to do good? And then he goes on later in the verse to talk about Generosity tell them verse 18 to use their money to do good. They should be rich in doing good work So there's a difference in considering ourselves rich as opposed to what the world considers wealth and rich be rich in doing good and Generous to those in need always being ready to share with others It's interesting that he makes a definition uh, a Difference between doing good and being generous. It seems like doing good is getting behind projects or you know maybe it's giving to the, the church or an organization it's it's getting behind something that can do good with your time your energy your money and generosity seems to be a direct thing where you take what you have and you use it for the kingdom in the direct life of another and he said both of these things are important doing good and being generous so he's saying don't just give money do good don't just do good Give some of what you have. Have this balance so that you're holding with open hands. Because we want to be humble about who we are and what we have. We want to be open-handed for God to continue to place in there. God is looking for people he can entrust with things. It's for our enjoyment. It's for the enjoyment of others. And it's for needs. And it's a holistic view. So here's the question you might be asking... Maybe not, but it's probably crossed your mind at some time when you consider using what you have to do good or be generous. Why should I work hard and be wise about my money and give it to those who've made bad choices and who continue to use it poorly? So if, if I'm using my life, and I've done school, and I've got a job, and I've made things, and I'm wise financially, and I, I'm not in debt to my eyeballs and stuff, why should I take my wisdom and give it to those who have not been wise? It's a valid, valid question. I remember a few years ago, I took uh, some students to Young Street Mission in Toronto, and they, do, they still do like, day-long uh, or weekend-long um, experiences, and uh, and Ray of Hope does that as well here in town, where you can just learn about what it's like to uh, live below the poverty line, and and understand what it takes to help uh, with housing problems and 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 food uh, problems in poverty. And I went in with an attitude very much like this: like, why should I give? You know, you know these. People, it was always these people are just going to use it on uh, drugs or, you know. And, and the, uh, the man who was leading it said, you know, is it really our responsibility to use what's, or, or, or to make sure that what we're giving is being used wisely? Is it not more our responsibility to see a need and give where God calls? And place the responsibility on the receiver to do the same. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I think Paul is saying that there's a responsibility for those who have to be able to give where God leads or give where just there's a need. And there's a responsibility for others to use that wisely too. And I'll back that up with a few uh, verses of Scripture and how I come to this. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says this. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. There is some balance in the New Testament about personal responsibility to work when you can. I'm not talking about mental health, disability, all that kind of stuff that gets in the way. But there's a responsibility to work and earn where you can. 1 Timothy 5, just a chapter earlier of what we're looking at, Paul gives instruction about the widows. Now, widows in that day and age It it was terribly difficult to earn an income. Women didn't work. or Generally, there weren't many jobs for women. And those who were widowed often had nothing. No opportunity. There was no social safety net. There wasn't a job waiting for them. And so Paul says, listen, this is important, this ministry of widows. But here's the way you administrate this. Here's how you do this. There are younger widows who are able to work. There are younger widows who have family and friends who can support them. And there's older ones who don't. Don't neglect those who have not to treat the ones who have the same. He said, make sure you let these widows know who have others who can support, that they're to lean into that. Because as a church, we need to focus on the most need." He's very practical in what he says. It's almost offensive when you read that. You're thinking, he actually goes further than that and says, young widows can probably marry again. Remember, it's a different, uh, different culture. We say that, it's, oh, it's a different culture. We wouldn't understand what it's like to live there. But Paul is saying very clearly, each one's responsible. And where there's someone who cannot, make sure you focus on them. Where there's someone who can, help them understand their Responsibility. Second Corinthians eight twelve to 14 We saw part of this on the video at the beginning. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Again, he's saying be generous. Okay, give eagerly and give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. It's very balanced. He's saying, look, we should all be giving, but give according to what you want to give. Ask God. Be generous. Give over and above. But don't give what you don't have. Verse 13. Of course. Listen, this is really important. I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. Later, you uh, they will have plenty and can share with you when you're in need. In this way, things will be equal. We need to understand two words, equal and enough. Paul is saying very clearly, look, those of you who are wealthy and rich, you shouldn't give so much that you're in need and the others are at ease. If someone can work and they don't, and you give to them, and now you're working twice as hard, and they're not, that's imbalance. Paul's very clear about that. In the same way that someone working and hoarding is wrong. So he's very balanced about all of this, and he's setting out the tone for the church family, we would be equal and enough. God's desire in a full, rich, and satisfying life that in a church family, in the body, everyone would have enough and that everyone would be treated equally. That's the balance. We are all humble in understanding who we are and how we use our stuff. Whether you are wealthy because you've worked hard or inherited use what you have well whether you're in poverty or don't have enough because of something that's happened to you outside your control or whether you've made bad choices be responsible in humbly accepting where you're at and seeing everyone equally and making sure everyone has enough that phrase being willing to share he says you know be willing to share at the end of the verse there is one word it's Koinonikos, so it's taken from koinonia, the word for fellowship. It's very much a church family type of word. It's only used here in the New Testament. And it suggests that sharing what we have is out of our heart as much as out of our wealth. So the sharing isn't primarily sharing what we have. It's sharing our lives, opening ourselves up to one another to help. And part of that, part of that is using what we have. One commentator said this, a kind heart as well as a generous hand is demanded of the rich. Why is this all important? Because humility plus generosity equals true life. Now, I discovered something new this week as I was studying this. is the link between this and John 10.10 that I read earlier, where Jesus says, I want you to have a rich and satisfying abundant life. Paul is saying a similar thing. He says it in verse 19. By doing this, so by doing this, in not being proud about what you have, not placing your trust in what you have, but instead doing good and being generous. By doing this, they, those who are well off, he's speaking to, will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. He's not saying don't invest well. Don't store up for the future. He's not saying don't use your money and your wealth well. well, Don't be wise. Don't. He's not saying any of those things. We need to do those things. Those who have are given a unique calling to steward it. When Adam and Eve were uh, created by God, he set them out with purpose in the garden to steward what had been given to them so that they might enjoy, enjoy life. In relationship equally with one another and in relationship with God and that is still the same pattern and picture we have now and when we do that when we use what we have for God's glory and our good and the good of others we store up a better kind of treasure we become rich in doing good and we have a better foundation for the future because our trust is not in our stuff it's in God and if our stuff goes away if something happens to us The bottom doesn't have to fall out it will change it will shift it will be difficult but when we are helping one another it's more likely others will be helping us in our time of need as well and in that you experience true life the kind of life god intended so paul reminds us that the proper use of our wealth is the best investment we could ever ever make Listen, the rich and the powerful, they are among the most lonely and broken in the world. Riches and stuff will never fulfill us. Does that mean we can't have riches? No, God intends it for good. Does that mean we can't use it for enjoyment? Vacation, stuff, things we do in life, that's good, not at all. But here's, the, here's the, the bottom line reality. And I've said this to, to people time and time again who are just so excited to go on vacation. Life is so hard here. If I could just get away. Secret. The trouble's waiting for you when you get home. If you don't deal with the problems, you're just coming back to it. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have, how many vacations you take. It doesn't matter how much dispensable cash you have. The foundation and root of your life isn't going to be fulfilled by those things. We all know that. But in the nuts and bolts of life, it's very difficult to live that. Humility plus generosity, that's the secret to true, rich, satisfying, abundant life. It's at least a piece of it. So I want to close by uh, having you ask four questions. I want you to ask that of yourself, okay? Um, don't ask it of the person who's sitting with you, the person you know. Maybe they're a family member or a friend. This is about you. Okay. Don't think of the other person. So four questions: Am I proud? That's the first one. Am I proud? Not. You're not asking. Am I proud? I hope I'm not. You're asking. Am I proud for you? Okay. If you look at what you have compared to others, whether it's money, stuff, cars, the way you dress, where you're at in life, status. If you look at what you have and compare to others and feel better or superior it's probably likely that you're proud in some way. And again, it begins as passive internal stuff, but eventually it comes out as active. Judgmentalism, frustration, exclusion, anger. And that happens in church families all the time. Secondly, who am I? Who am I in Christ? If you understand yourself to be a child of the King, and your identity comes from Him, it's more likely you're, ab- you're able to walk through life in humility. Your identity and who you are comes from him, not from what you've done or what you have. But if you see yourself in light of what you accomplish, that you made something of yourself, what you do for work, what you have, then it's likely you're either proud or bordering on pride. Third, where did my money and stuff come from? Where is all this stuff coming from? If you believe it's from your opportunity and hard work, there's a good chance your trust and hope is in them. If instead you view it as an opportunity for God, that through your hard work and wisdom you have stewarded what he's placed in your hand well, then probably your trust is not in that. Here's the secret. Humility plus generosity equals true life. The secret is this. When we place our pride, our trust, our hope in our stuff, It's got a grip on us it's very hard to break that it's very hard to break that pattern it's very hard to live day in and day out without being gripped by that but to the degree we're humble we have our hope in god we do good we're generous we hold those things open-handed and they no longer have a hold on me and that type of free life that's truly living final question what is your money and your stuff for What's it for? What's the purpose? If your focus is only on enjoyment or the future, building a foundation, it's likely you believe that money and stuff is for you. That's my money. It's my stuff. I've earned it. I did this. Just remember, the fact you were born who you are, where you are, you didn't do that. That's a gift and a blessing. You could have been anywhere else, anyone else, but you're not. Instead, see it for your good, your enjoyment use it well, use it wisely use it like this Gnosticism, asceticism thing where we divide the spiritual and physical, God wants you to enjoy a a warm sunset a good meal a well built something that you, you buy or you create there is pleasure in that we're meant to experience that we're not spiritual beings who drift around the world, we're physical but we're physical in a physical world with others So what is your money and stuff for? Instead, see it for your good, the good of others, and for God's glory. When those things are in harmony, then you begin to see where humility plus generosity actually equals true, rich, satisfying, and abundant life. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this um, tough teaching. It is tough. May we align uh, who we are, that we're not proud of our stuff. May we align where our hope and trust is, not in what we've earned, attained, not in the house or car or things we have built up against trouble or a rainy day, uh, but gifts from you. May we use what we have to do good and to be generous. Father, we ask that you would help those who are better off to release uh to be released from the grip that riches and stuff can have on us in contrast to the rest of the world who seems to chase these things may we flee from the evil that the love of money does in our heart the way it keeps us from you and others lord for those who have been listening this morning and can't identify with any of it because they're in such need lord we pray that you would help us as a church family to see one another as equal and to make sure everyone has enough. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. If Young adults, if you're coming to the barbecue, you need a ride, just meet me somewhere at the back and wait for me. We'll make sure you get a lift uh, out of here. We're looking forward to that. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you're able to stack the chairs.